lots of controversies and denial and people refuting this. Obviously, Muslims won't admit this, but it's there, it's everywhere. We don't know who is telling the truth, but it say that he did say that. Whether he said or he did not say, huge controversy uh, about this. That Muhammad said, I don't know the purpose of life. But there's no denial about what Buddha said. Buddha said, seek the truth. Well, obviously, his disciples come and they say, oh no, what he really meant was, uh, do not take my word for granted, seek for yourself, test yourself what I'm saying, etc. Confucius said, I am not the way. So one does not know the purpose of life, the other one encourages people to seek the truth, the other one recognizes that is not the way. But Jesus Christ said in John 14, verse 6, all three elements. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Interesting. In English, it seems to be in descending order, way, truth, and life. In French, ascending order. Je suis le chemin, la vérité et la vie. Sending in French, sending in English, So, it's up to people to choose whether people who did not know themselves, where they were, were not sure about what they were teaching, were not sure because people are following Buddha, but Buddha himself not quite sure of where he was going, where he is, what to, but people are just following but Jesus said authoritatively, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then no one comes to the true God whom he called his Father, except through him. Okay. Wow. We can't seek to please people to fabricate and make it look a bit more politically correct. Yeah, he did not say I'm the only way, but he said no one comes to the Father except through me. It's the same as I'm the only way. And then you have all the theories about death, about the final abode, about eternity future, and everybody comes with his own device and theories, and, and people just choose, pick and choose. It's a, I call that a religious supermarket. In the supermarket of religion, I'm taking this one, oh, this nice, this seems to be nice, yeah, this one. But who has been there and come back to tell us what death looks like? <coughs> Jesus. <coughs> so if he talks about death, we have to trust him. If someone tells you that they've read all about the Eiffel Tower in Paris, and they explain you, you know, it's about uh, 1,000 steps, it's very tiring, when you get to the last bottom there, you can buy a glass of champagne, and this and that, and they buy, yeah, you can memorize all that. But if I tell you that it's so painful, I've claimed them, I can explain you, it's all metal. You better trust me. I've been there, the cues are horrible. I can explain you. Because if you read in the book, you may be surprised when you go there, because of the cues. 
So, Jesus Christ has been to death and came back. So he has the final authority to tell you what death looks like. And what to do if you don't want to remain captive of it. And then he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he died physically, will live. Mm. The vanity of fleeting confidence. Part one, the confidence of the foolish. For reasons only known to God himself, he purposed to populate eternity with a race of human beings who choose to worship him by obeying his will. He created human beings in his own image with a mind superior to that of any other living creature. And he breathed into him, into man, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. However, the first human beings who were created with a free will decided to disobey God and fell into sin against him. That's how sin, death, sorrows, pains, murder, hardship, etc. entered this world. So this is not the world God created, but the one we human beings transformed. God is not to be blamed. This disobedience wouldn't stop the Lord from fulfilling the purpose for which he created us. But he must first reconcile humankind to himself by sending his son for that very purpose. That purpose is a mystery known only unto God himself. But it pleased him to reveal to his church that mystery in order for his church to work with him towards the restoration of humankind through the solution that he is providing himself, that is, the death and resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ. Now, the main scripture we'll be looking at today is Psalm 49. Psalm 49. Psalm 49. And we read, Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the heart. Verse 5. Why should I fear in the day of in the days of evil, when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can buy any man redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Verse eight: For the redemption of their soul is costly, and it shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. Verse 10. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool 
and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their land after their own name. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Verse 13. This is the way of those who are foolish, and of their posterity who approve their saying. 14. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall, shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, far from their dwelling. Verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Verse 18. Though while he lives, he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in all yet does not understand is like the beast that perish. If fathers who do not know God pass on rebellion and blasphemy to their posterity, it is guaranteed that unless the posterity repents, they will go to the same place as their fathers. We are in a privileged position to be able to teach our children every day about God. that they, make, they will make the right decision in due course. But there are families where from the very childhood children are taught to blaspheme the name of God. They swear, they curse the name of God, they have no respect or reverence and they grow like that. In the main reading in Psalm 49, the word grave you, you saw there, it's not used as in the physical grave we know. No. The word grave in this text is the Hebrew word shield. That in the Old Testament represented a condition, a condition, or a state in which the soul was kept while the body lay in a physical grave. 
Those trusting God believe that he will redeem their soul from that condition. So those who put their trust in God can confidently look beyond the physical grave for eternal life with God. The message of the gospel is for everyone living on earth. It's for the living. In verse 6 to 7, those who put their trust in the multitude of their riches can redeem neither themselves nor anyone. Remember the title, The Vanity of Fleeting Confidence, The Confidence of the Foolish. Verse, nine to, verse 8 to 9, The redemption of the souls is costly and it shall cease forever. It's costly. It's unaffordable. That was this. It. it took God to send his son to die at the hand of his creation in order to redeem us. In Matthew 26, the son prayed to the father whether there was another way of redeeming this world. The implication is that there wasn't any other way. No one can pay for eternal life or to avoid being eternally separated from God. No one can pay for it. There's nothing we can do. Nor can anyone else in the world. Nor can any angel, any religion, any great thinker, anybody, nobody can. Now, have you noticed something in your passage, in your Bible there? Hands up if you have a dash before verse 8 in your Bible and at the end of it. Only one person. You have brackets. It's the same. It means the same thing. It says brackets. That means you can read from verse 7 and lead directly to verse 9. You can do that. And if we lead that, this is what we have. If we combine 7 and 9, this is what you have. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, that he should continue to live eternally. That's the meaning. There's nothing you can do to have your deceased brother or living brother to continue living eternally. You can't redeem them. You can't give God a ransom for that. There's nothing you can do. <coughs> the confidence of the foolish. Have you seen verse 6? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can buy any man redeem his brother. No give any ransom to God. Verse 10. People do not learn from experience although they have seen so many rich people dying and carrying nothing away. They still pursue you know, all sorts of vanity 
In fact, the Lord asked, what it will profit to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? He also asked what a man could give in exchange for his soul. Again, the implication is that no one can redeem himself. It's an impossible question to answer. What can a man give to redeem his soul? What will it profit to gain the whole world in glory and fame and riches and lose your soul? The vanity of fleeting confidence. Or we can say the vanity of elusive confidence. Fleeting. It's going. It's temporary, short-term confidence, useless, worthless confidence. Those people who have been deceived and led to believe that they can redeem themselves also deceive others through their writings and other intellectual legacy. Jean-Paul Sartre, existentialism. Oh, there's nothing after here. This is all the ways. There's nothing. And other people, oh, no, you know, you can be recycled, you know, with reincarnation, recycled, etc. Through karma, until you become perfect, and then you become one with Brahman. And then you reach the Nirvana, and it's so popular, these things, anyway. People say, well, uh, reincarnation makes more sense than resurrection. Remember that story of that person say uh, was talking about about reincarnated uh, good snake and bad snake and someone said what is a good snake and what's a bad snake? Verse fifteen. But God will redeem my soul from the power of grave, for He shall receive me. Jesus said in John 11, 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Notice, he may die. I prefer that. Some versions have, though he die, that's fine. But I prefer he may die, because some will not taste death. Some will be raptured. But if it happens that we die before he comes, it doesn't matter. Because he will raise up. He is the resurrection. He is in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. That all the Lord will recognize. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. However beautiful, nice and kind we think we are, without the spirit of God, we do not belong to Christ. As simple as that. Not my word, Christ's word. Do these things make sense so far before I continue? Yes, yes, yes. I'm going slowly because I want us to understand. Remember, it's a series of five teachings. If we need to understand the introduction because it will help us. 
verse 16 to 17. Do not be afraid when, when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. This is a universal truth. In fact, Job said, Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. I brought nothing, I will take nothing. It's a universal truth which the enemy, the God of this age, that's the devil, is to have blind people on that. People think we just continue, you know, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good forever, you know, death is not, they're pushing it far. Well, it's an appointment. I've said that so many times, it's an appointment. I speak about death all the time, about myself, so that when it comes, nobody's surprised. Well, you may push that idea, but it's an appointment. So, we carry nothing away when we leave this world. Let's hear from really rich people. You know, some people think they are rich because they have 100,000 pounds in a bank account. Or 500,000 pounds. Shoulders. Let's look at the really rich called Solomon. King Solomon ruled Israel for 40 years and amassed gold estimated at $39 billion in today's money, according to experts. And this excludes the gold he received from Queen, Queen of Sheba, this excludes the gift he received from other kings and the wealth he inherited from his father. He had 700 wives. 300 concubines. This king was conscious of the reality of death and considered all things under the sun to be vanity. Why well, we should take such man seriously? Eleven years to build the temple. Four years the foundation of the temple. Another seven years to build, and then his own house, thirteen years. What kind of house do you think? Have you seen the menu? for his dinner. <laughs> Have you been impressed by the menu? Every day. And the cutlery is quality. And he made the silver to become common to everybody. That's a rich person. Let's be humble. <laughs> Let's be humble. Well, I'm beautiful. Have you heard of someone called Esther in the Bible? Beautiful by the king's standards. Let me be humble. I'm clever, I'm bright, I'm decent. Have you heard of someone called Daniel? Have you heard of someone called Joseph in the Bible? Daniel is able to tell you not fake an interpretation of your dream. No. He first says your dream. And then he gives interpretation. Very bright people. 
with the superior spirit of God given by God. When the Bible has everything that is that we need to be humble, look at the Bible. Verse 18. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. What? He lives to bless himself. You live to praise God. But those people live to be seen. They praise themselves and other people praise them. And they live for that. And they think that will continue endlessly. That will cease one day. But we, not only will be glorified ourselves in new bodies, but we will continue to bless, to praise, to worship God and to be in His likeness. We don't know what that looks like. One day it will be revealed. Because you have put your trust in him. The rich man, the proud, the arrogant, blesses himself for man's praise. Remember the wicked rich versus Lazarus in Luke 16, verse 19. There was a great gulf fixed. The wicked rich asked for drops of water in order to cool his tongue, for he was tormented. Now, The Bible says he asked Abraham drops of water on the other side. In the Hades. He lived up. He was in the down part. Bottom part. Abraham. Just dip your finger. Drops, drops, drops. But his body was laying in the tomb. So that could not possibly be physical water. Because water, as we know it, is for this body. He was seeking life. The life, the living water Jesus Christ gives, which springs up into everlasting life. He realized that I despise, I reject it. Now I need it too late. Too late. The vanity of fleeting confidence. The confidence of the foolish. We sang this morning in 1937. In the year 1937 is the time around which this ministry, this church was being built. There was a man called Edward Mott who wrote the song we sang this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <coughs> Not leaning on all merits or means. For salvation, only by grace can we enter the blood of Jesus. Father, if it's possible, takes away this. No, there's no other way. 
Only by the precious blood can one be saved. Not cunningly devised fable and philosophy and fabricated and trickery of man and clever ideas. No man can redeem himself. Nor can he redeem his brother. Only by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The vanity of fleeting confidence. So we've gone through the main passage. Let's see what else we can learn. By giving this title to this message, I'm referring to the elusive, fleeting confidence and false hope of gaining a better place after this life by all means or merits. That is called delusion or deception, falsehood, false hope. Vanity confidence is the excessive or inflated pride in oneself or one's own appearances and achievement for gaining salvation by own personal effort. It is worthless, it is futile, self-confidence or self-delusion. In thinking that one can determine and secure the best possible place in eternity future in relation to their final abode by all means or merit life. It's the same line we cycle all the time. You shall not die. Yeah. It's the same. You will be like God. You will not die. You will live eternally. You will be like God. That's what yoga is all about. Is to, to, to reveal in you the Godhood. As you practice, you practice, you practice, you practice, you reveal to you that you are God. It takes so long. A lot of effort to know that you are God. <laughs> the Bible asks the following question. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The same Bible answers the question as follows. None can redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. Psalm 49, verse 7. Why is that? Why is that that no one can give a ransom to God? It's a nice thing to do. You know, Catholic Church, you know, teaches that you can give a ransom, you know, to, to, to bail, to, to remove one from purgatory, and you know. Paying, you know, uh, all those things again, indulgence. Yeah, you can pay and then people move from there to there. You know, in Islam, you know, your good deed and your bad deed will be waiting, you know, whatever wins, you know, you go to heaven, etc. And then you have some Christians say, well, actually, we can reconcile it too. Yeah, we don't think God is that cruel, you know, to, to punish people eternally. No, 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 you will stay somewhere and then you eventually will be annihilated, etc., etc. Oh no, God is so good. In the end, He's going to save everybody. God is good. 
false hope. The day for salvation is now. You who are listening to me, make sure, make sure of the genuineness of salvation in your own life. Staying and attending the church will not automatically give us access to heaven. In Africa we say, a piece of wood may stay so long in a river, it will never become a crocodile. We need to make sure that we have given our life to Jesus Christ. If we've done that, there is evidence for that newness of life. Remember what I told you? Make yourself a list. This is me before Christ, without Christ. This is me with Christ. Make a list and decide what things have passed away. And you have the answer yourself. And then send the same list to other people. Ask them to help you. Say, can you make a list? You knew me before I becoming, before I claim to be a Christian. Make a list of things that have changed me. And draw your own conclusion. Because if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. All things have passed away. And everything has become new. Does that mean you become perfect? No. Because the Bible says, run looking unto Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, laying aside every weight and every sin, one that ensnares us so easily. That's the one God wants to put his finger on. Things have passed away. But God is looking at something in my life, in your life. That's the one God wants you to bring. He wants to help you. For everything to be perfected and to become absolutely new. The sin that ensnares you so easily. <clears throat> I start at 4, at 15. So I'm trying to catch up with 45 minutes. Bear with me. I'm trying my best. To finish at one o'clock. Why is that that none can redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him? It is because there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. One ransom, one mediator, Jesus Christ, between God and man. No other way. No. This ransom is perfect and eternal, which no man can afford to give. What is a ransom? A ransom is a sum of money demanded or paid for to release a captive. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us all when he died on the cross. To relieve us. To release us. Captives of sin. Captives of the enemy. He paid himself a ransom to redeem us. No one can do that. It must be perfect and eternal. Now, the Roman Catholic's idea of Mary being a co-redemptrix oh, for her alleged role in the redemption for all people is not found in the Bible. 
Mary is not a co-redemptress. Christ is the Redeemer. Full stop. Nor is the idea of Mary being a mediatrix mediatrix because of her alleged intercessory role as a mediator in the salvific redemption by Jesus Christ. And the idea that Jesus Christ bestowed grace to people through Mary. Oh. Special title. Corridentist, mediatrix, and now she's between God and now. There's only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 to 6. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I'm going to die today, I'm going to die tomorrow, and people live under intense fear every day. Where is freedom? And it's written, if the sun sets you free, you will be free. Indeed. Every day, every day, Christ came to release us from that. In John chapter 10, verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine on the cross, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, it is finished is the translation of the Greek word, the telestai, which also means pay in full. I used to be confused, and I noticed that many people are confused on that. What's the real translation? What's the right translation of it is finished? Some people say Tetelestai, some people say Teleo. I was confused. So which one is it then? Is it Tetelestai? Is it Teleo? It's both. Because Tetelestai is a Greek word derived from the verb Teleo. Teleo means complete, finished, achieved, conclude, executed. Now, Tetelestai is Teleo perfect sense. But it means pay in full unto perpetual purchased possession. So it's like you buy the house, you finish, you settle it there, there is a stamp, it finished, it's your right. Past transaction with current implication and effect. So what Christ did was not just for people of his age at that time. No. It had an effect unto eternity, what he did. That's what it means. The telestai, the hell. It is finished. What else? Who else can do that? There's no other way. I think we can stop there. And when we come next time, before starting the next part, we will clarify this issue of Telestai, Telestai, Teleo, and um, other false doctrine, transubstantiations, etc. For Christ becoming, you know, 
the Eucharist becoming the actual body of Christ, etc., where the body says he offered himself once for all. So we look into that in an apologetic way, God with it. <laughs>